today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. There will be no federal election because of the voting and the shenanigans that went on in Parliament last week. But there are two federal by-elections, uh, both in the Toronto area, and they are taking place today. And, uh, well, there's always uh, some concern and always some interest in by-elections because uh, it's an opportunity for voters to send a message to the government without necessarily making a government topple, I suppose. Uh, joining us to talk about this is Christopher Waddell, Professor of School in the Journalism and Communications at Carleton University. Uh, professor Waddell, great to have you back on the program. How are you keeping these days? Very well, thanks, Bill. It's, uh, there's snow on the ground here, but other than that, things, you know, so I hear. Than that, things are okay. <laughs> good, good. Uh, we've dodged the bullet so far down in southern Ontario, but, you know, it's, it's inevitable it's coming. Uh, what about the interest in by-elections, Chris? I mean, especially now, I mean, there's these were two liberal seats, uh, both the MPs, one Bill Morneau, the finance minister, retired, another I left uh, for a better job, at least he thought it was anyway, uh, mm-hmm. with the Simon Wiesenthal Center. But it's anticipated they're probably going to win. So what are we watching for today? Well, I think there's a couple of things to watch for, one of which is just the turnout, the number of people that actually decide to come to vote, because by-elections often don't get the same sort of, I mean, they rarely, if never, ever get the same sort of turnout that you have in a general election, just because lots of people in the community may even barely know that they're taking place. So um, turnout tends to be small, um, and that emphasizes a little bit um, party organization in the in the actual um, ridings and their ability to get people who they think are their voters out to vote. Uh, the challenge in doing that this time may be the degree to which um, often in elections, the way elections are normally run, you do door-to-door canvassing to try to figure out who your voters, who your supporters are, and then you mark up your lists, and then you try to ensure those people come out to vote on election day. Of course, COVID-19 has thrown all that into a, a fair um, degree of mess. It's not. I, I don't know how much door-to-door canvassing they were able to do either in York Centre or Toronto Centre, although there would be, hopefully, the parties, from the parties' concern, they would probably have marked lists from, from 2019, so they should be able to go back to whoever their supporters were in 2019 and see if they could um, persuade them to vote this time. But there's no question the turnout will be lower. The B.C. election was on Saturday, and the turnout there was... Uh, I've seen a couple of things that suggest the turnout there was maybe the lowest or one of the lowest in quite a long time, and that's a general election. Only about 50% of people who voted, either by mail or by going to vote on, on polling stations, and so I suspect the turnout will be small um, in both of these uh, in both of these by-elections in York Centre and in and in Toronto Centre, and that's going to be and and just generally how COVID-19 and people's concern about it disrupts the election will be another issue people will be watching too. Kind of an interesting twist to this whole thing, too, with the two by-elections today. There are two party leaders running in these, uh, the new newly minted Green Party leader, and, of course, and uh, Maxime Bernier from the People's Party uh, in, in different ridings. Uh, you know, yes. Anna-Marie Paul, of course, is riding, running in the, in Toronto Centre and in York Centre. Of course, Bernier is trying to get a seat. That's since he lost in the last federal election. Right. He was running in his own riding in both in Quebec. I, I would suspect he's not – I would be very surprised if he does particularly well. Um, Ms. Paul will be interesting to see. She was just uh, elected as Green Leader. She's a very interesting uh, candidate. Uh, she got about, she ran in 2019 against Bill Morneau, and Morneau got about 57% of the vote in that election, and she got about 7% of the vote. So um, I, they'll obviously be, the Green Party will obviously be looking to see if they can do better or significantly better than they did last time, and that would give them some sort of uh, um, enthusiasm going into the future. Um, but you know, the, Mr. Morneau had 57% of the vote. Um, in the other, in the other, um, in York Center, the Liberals got 50% of the vote last time. So it would be a real, um, um, it would be a real 
um, important event if, in fact, either of them were to lose or if, or if their vote share was to go down significantly, I think. Toronto Centre is an interesting animal, though, isn't it? I mean, with the liberal uh, legacy that it really has, and it has for quite some time right now, uh, it's, it's been a liberal seat for many, many years. Yep. Uh, Bill Graham, a former cabinet minister, yep. I guess he was actually an interim leader at one point, too. Uh, when they were in between party leaders, uh, he was mm-hmm. there. Bob Ray, of course, uh, uh, the former yep. interim leader, uh, former premier was there. And of course, Bill Morneau. So you got to figure Marcy Ian, who's got a high profile, of course, because of her background in broadcasting, yep. uh, would probably have the inside track. She's got a lot going for her, the liberal legacy plus her, 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 her name recognition. Yeah. And, and, the, and, the, and they've been doing a lot of work, um, generating um, um, support from various people in the community as well. So although um, um, Annamie Paul actually grew up in the constituency and she, mm-hmm. uh, she got a, lot, a fair amount of publicity around her election as Green Leader, and uh, even before she was selected Green Leader, she indicated that she was going to be running again um, a year after she ran in 2019. So there should be some fair amount of name recognition there. But again, it, it's tough to get people out in a, in a by-election unless people are really enthused and or there are long-term party supporters. So Conservatives were second last time. How well the Conservatives do this time will be interesting. Um, and, of course, the NDP, what their vote is, is the, 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 the relationship between the NDP vote and the Green vote may be kind of interesting as well in both these constituencies. Uh, we had Anna Paul on the show last week. Uh, and you're a very fascinating lady with an interesting background. Yep. I'll ask you the same question, Chris, that I asked her. Why can't the Green Party seem to get a foothold in, in Canadian politics? I mean, you know, they've, they've increased their numbers a little bit. Elizabeth May, of course, was a very high-profile, very ebullient individual. Uh, but they couldn't really seem to, and the Green Party has done well in other parts of the world. Uh, and you would think with the bent towards environmental issues, which I, I think is starting to dominate politics a lot more than people thought it would, uh, that they might lean to the Green Party, but they don't seem to. Well, I think pro- part of the problem is they're, they're, they're playing on the part of the political spectrum that's already pretty crowded, which is the NDP and, and also the, uh, and also the Liberals to some degree. The Liberals have moved to the left and the Liberals have tried to expropriate. Mr. Trudeau very much so has tried to expropriate as much of that, uh, climate change and, mm-hmm. and environmental ground as he can. So, so the, the challenge always comes for a party like the Green Party is, when there's other people advocating versions of their policies, do you want to vote for someone who actually may be able to do it, or do you want to vote for someone who will be there to kind of advocate for something? And and that up to this point, I mean, with the exception of Prince Edward Island, where the Greens are actually the opposition for the official opposition, mm-hmm. um, they haven't been in a position where they could um, implement their policies, other than if we were to get into a minority government situation where, um, and in BC, that's what happened, of course, in the period leading up to this last election. The BC, um, the Liberals and the, and the, um, the Liberal Party in BC and also the NDP were equal in seats at, at 41, and there was two Green MP, uh, MLAs, and they actually supported the NDP for a couple of years. So, in that circumstance, the Greens could be fairly more influential than they might otherwise be, simply because they they decide who actually forms the government. But in general, if it's going to be a majority government and you've got three or four or five or six members, you're not even a recognized party, and that reduces your ability to get rep to get money from the uh, from the parliamentary budget to hire researchers and do those sorts of things. And the Green Party also, I think, was hurt badly when, um, probably more than some of the other parties, when uh, Stephen Harper took away the per-vote subsidy that had been introduced by Jean Chrétien, where, whereby um, every vote um, gave, every person, every vote was worth about $1.45 to the party that got a vote, providing they hit a minimum threshold of, I think it was 
three or four percent of the total votes across the country. So the Greens were able to get quite a bit of money from that and to allow them to organize and to build. But when that was taken away, that becomes more difficult because then you've got to go and solicit funds from people, which is tough to do. I, I mean, I, we do have one in the Ontario legislature, of course, Mike Schreiner, yeah, Mike Schreiner. From, from Guelph. Uh, but, of course, Mike was a very well-known individual in that community anyway, so I, I'm not, you know, I can't extrapolate whether there's a green wave going on in Guelph right now, uh, although they are a, a city that was one of the leaders when it came to environmental issues and uh, one of the pioneers in that. But and it's they also interesting. have a university which, which, is a, which um, yeah. contributes a fair number of votes in, in most circumstances, depending on when the election is or students are in classes. The spin doctors are going to be busy tonight looking at the numbers, uh, Chris, once this happens. And even if the Liberals do retain both of these seats, uh, they're going to be looking at our voters trying to send a message, you know, reduce margins of victory or something like that. Uh, uh, the Liberals clearly uh, are looking for some, some something, to, I guess, to, to, to rationalize, to say, yeah, you know what, they love what we're doing with COVID-19. You know, they're behind us still. Uh, the opposition parties are going to be looking for chinks in that armor, aren't they? Oh, they will. Um, but uh, the opposition parties, of course, have had difficulty on the issue because there is widespread support for what the government's been doing. And if you look at what's been going on at the provincial level, so far we've had New Brunswick turn a minority into a majority. Um, uh, B.C. do the same thing. Uh, the Saskatchewan election is tonight, today as well, provincial election. And I think most people anticipate the Saskatchewan party, um, which is a, a small C conservative party, is going to get reelected with another majority. It had a majority going in. So so um it doesn't these are tough times for opposition parties to um to both find the space to advocate different policies and in some cases even to come up with different policies because people are pretty focused on the short term and focused on what's happening to them and in their community and their jobs and and their children and schools and all those issues and um it, it's not a time for um big debates about political issues beyond that i mean even mr trudeau found that out when you'll recall when they he um um, dissolved Parliament in August. He was talking about a, a big vision for a throne speech, and the throne speech came back with a lot of what the part of the Liberals had already said they wanted to do, and not much of the big vision he was talking about. And and the second wave of COVID actually hasn't made that any easier for anybody. What is? I'm glad you kind of ran down the list here. Like you say, we just had the BC election this past weekend. Saskatchewan voters today, uh, New Brunswick, not too long ago. Uh, is 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 there something in the water here that's all these elections all of a sudden that are happening and we just dodged the, the bullet. They, you know, it might have been a federal election had things gone a little bit differently in parliament last week. Is, is it an idea as, as you mentioned with COVID happening and people looking for assistance and, and basically, I guess, giving a thumbs up, whether it's the provincial or federal government, you know, as long as the checks coming in uh, to try to compensate for some of the losses we've all seemed to have uh, suffered because of this, uh, are they looking at sinking this as a way for us to, to solidify our, our, our hold on government? Certainly what, that was the case in B.C. As John Horgan had said, he wasn't going to hold an early election and he changed his mind and he did. I believe in both Saskatchewan and New Brunswick's case, it was the, it, they have fixed election dates as well these days and the fixed election dates were when they were. And so they decided to have the elections. The debate was, should we defer the election because of um, because of COVID-19? And they both decided to go ahead with them, with it. whereas in Mr. Horgan's case, it was a conscious decision to go earlier than the fixed date. Um, and he hadn't been defeated in the legislature or anything like that. And, and I think people thought the, um, the, the federal liberals were looking at that as... Uh, is as um, with sitting with governments all looking like they're getting reelected, this was maybe their opportunity if they if they wanted to do it. But I'm not really sure. Um, who knows? <laughs> 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 who knows what they were thinking? 
Although the one oh, thing you can say is, is this isn't that doesn't appear to be a time where the public wants to throw governments out. Well, especially like you say, when there are hard times and you're getting money from governments, uh, you yeah. like them. I, I know the opposition parties are doing their darndest to try to to paint these guys with an ugly brush, and you know and the bill that's probably going to pass today, their motion rather. Uh, to start at this investigative committee, and and you know there's going to be some pushback on that too, but the, the polling though, the national polling especially, Chris, seems to indicate that as you mentioned, by and large, people are pretty comfortable with the job that the Liberals are doing right now, which, which is not to suggest there aren't any warts with it. But I mean, there's always going to be questions like that. But uh, your point's well taken. It's uh, in times like this, it's pretty tough to be an opposition member at any level of government, isn't it? It's a tough. It's tough to attract the attention. It's tough even to hold the government to account without making it look like um, um, you're, I mean, in some of these events, there is a natural tendency for everyone to kind of rally around and to try to to, to um, work to improve the situation for everyone. And, and that sort of, you know, support the team mentality, people who want to criticize and want to raise questions can uh, can be seen as as, as disruptive. Although that's the job of the opposition, and that's what they should be doing, um, I think. At the, at, at the same time, at the moment, um, the other thing that I think plays into it is that nobody, the future is very uncertain at the moment. I mean, if we thought we were headed towards uh, a return to what you might describe as pre-March normalcy, um, then maybe people would be more willing to look at well, who's the best to actually um, uh, to to actually be in charge for that period. But at the moment, I think, with the second wave of COVID-19, there's so much uncertainty about what that's going to mean, how long it's going to last, um, how well people are going to get through that or not get through that, that I think it, it just kind of leaves people to say, well, it's better to stick with what we've got rather than to try something new and different. At least that's well, especially, kind of how it feels. Yeah, especially because of the track record. I mean, here, you know, here's uh, the Conservatives, and to a lesser extent the NDP, but mostly the Conservatives that are driving the opposition bus here now. Uh, mm-hmm. because they are the official opposition, uh, you know, simply saying we want to lift up every rock and see what's going on. And uh, and the, the, I guess the conundrum they're facing right now is, wait a second, you voted for all of the stuff that you're now wanting to investigate. I, you know, did, did you, you know, are, are you changing your mind? I mean, you, you can get this turned around against you pretty quickly, can't you? Yeah, you can. You can. And, and, and then there's a the general question of just how much attention people are paying anyway when they've got other concerns that are closer to home. Yeah. Whether it's just... um. Uh, the problem, uh, challenges with ch- with childcare and daycare and schools and jobs and and you know I suspect a lot of people are kind of getting to the end of really enjoying working from home, <laughs> but there seems to be no end to when that's going to happen. So that frustrates people. And and the more general things you've seen talk about mental health issues and mental health concerns for lots of people during all this, all of that says elections maybe aren't that important at the moment. Well, plus the fact that uh, most people seem to have a, a, a less than shining, you know, opinion of elected officials and politicians at all levels right now, too. So, when you've got There's the opposition, they're spreading stories about corruption. You know, I, the reaction I hear from an awful lot of people is, "Yes, yeah, so what did you expect?" Uh, you know, oh well, but, yeah, it, yes, there is a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's so. it's going to be interesting to see just how they spin this over the next little while. I, you anticipate, by the way, I know we've just got a couple of seconds left here. Uh, that this opposition motion is going to carry today and they're going to start this investigation and start going suspect. over the books? I would suspect, and probably, frankly, it's been a year since it's been a budget. Um, and we don't know, it's likely not going to be a budget, federal budget until next spring with maybe an economic update in November. So I think some of it's valuable and some of it may uh, shed some light on how well 
on 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 how well some decisions government made in in a pretty hasty period of time have actually turned out, and in some cases where things might have been done a little bit better. If they do that, though, in next month, if they, what they call an economic update, that's another exit ramp, isn't it? I mean, if the NDP decide to vote against the government, we are going to uh, to the polls. Well, there wouldn't be there wouldn't be an, uh, there wouldn't necessarily. It's not like a budget that has to be approved. So the Liberals would have to put a motion on the House, I suspect, saying that we have confidence, or the or the Conservatives, if they wanted to put a motion saying, as a result of this, we have no confidence in the government, and see what happens. But there isn't there isn't like in a budget actual legislation from the update that have unless they that would have to be approved necessarily so so that would require either the liberals or the opposition one of the opposition parties to put a motion forward one way or the other so that could happen or may not but then you know by that point you're are people really going to defeat a government in late november headed to an election that would be in january um i kind of don't think so but we had one of those in 2005 2000 2005 2006 yeah into 2006 yeah yeah and it, it did not work well very well for the paul martin government at that time but that was an extremely long campaign <laughs> yeah well yeah they lost their power altogether in stephen harper minority government That's uh right, and, yeah. and, and, and uh, talking to a number of people that ran in that election and uh, trying to campaign during the christmas season is is next to impossible people just don't care and uh, well, so I, I don't think they want to go down that road. But anyway. And then they, you layer COVID-19 and what Christmas is going to be or how yeah. it's going to be on top of that and say, this, you know, yeah, don't bother me with this at the moment. Maybe the reaction of lots of people. Right, as they've shown us, about the only predictable thing right now is that these guys are always unpredictable. So we'll see what yep. happens. Chris, yeah. always a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time today. Stay well. Okay. Thanks, Bill, very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Professor Christopher Waddell from uh, Carleton University checking out the by-elections and uh, the political schemes and climate in the country right now the bill kelly show weekdays from nine to noon on 900 chml